Welcome to Food Psych, a podcast about intuitive eating, body positivity, and health at every size. I'm your host, Christy Harrison, and I'm a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and certified intuitive eating counselor specializing in weight-inclusive wellness. Join me as I talk with interesting people from all walks of life about their relationships with food. Hey there, welcome to episode 91 of Food Psych. I am your host, Christy Harrison, and today I'm talking with Jennifer McGurk, who is a fellow body positive and health at every size dietitian. She specializes in helping people recover from disordered eating, and she also has a business helping other dietitians launch their private practices. We had a great conversation about building a body positive and health at every size private practice, about the problems with dietitian training in general and why we need more health at every size education for dietitians, pregnancy and the body changes that go along with it and the need for support around pregnancy and a whole lot more. So we really had a nice far ranging conversation touching on a lot of topics that I think are important in the health at every size movement. And I can't wait to share that with you in just a moment. But first, a couple of quick announcements. The first is that my online Facebook group, the Food Psych Podcast Listener Crew, is really gaining momentum and is just such a fun place to be. So if you're a Facebook user or even if you never use Facebook and you just want to be a part of this group, you know, create a fake account just for this group. It's super worth it. I feel like everybody has been supporting each other in such amazing ways there. And we've had such great discussions helping facilitate body positivity and recovery from disorders eating. And it's just a really wonderful place to be. So if you're listening to this and you haven't joined yet, you can join at christyharrison.com slash community. That will redirect you to the Facebook group page. Just submit a request to join and I'll approve you and you can come on in. So that's christyharrison.com slash community. The second thing I want to share with you is my intuitive eating fundamentals course, which you can find at christyharrison.com slash course. It's a 13-week online course to help you make peace with food and learn to trust your body again. We work through all the principles of intuitive eating in depth and help you really troubleshoot everything that typically comes up for people as they're going through the principles. And it's all informed by body positivity and health at every size and size acceptance. So that's really infused throughout the course, as well as self-compassion. That's a huge foundation to what we're doing in the course because self-compassion has been shown to really help people make positive changes in all aspects of their lives whether it's through relationships with food or anything else. So you'll learn all about self-compassion and about body positivity and health at every size as you're working through the principles of intuitive eating so that you'll really end up with an understanding of intuitive eating that doesn't turn it into another diet or that isn't sort of pseudo body positive. You'll really be able to integrate the foundations of health at every size and size acceptance into your work with intuitive eating from the ground up. Just listen to what one of my participants recently said about the course. She said, I've been on an unofficial diet for over 14 years, and my goal was always to make peace with food in my body before I turned 30 because I don't want to have my children going through the same as me. With this course, I finally feel this is possible. It gives me hope. It challenges my thoughts. It provides me help when I need it, and there are a lot of journal exercises that I truly enjoy. I'm thankful for being exposed to another anti-diet world, and I definitely 
see meal plans and weight loss apps through different eyes today. I can't say how grateful I am that I found this course, Christy, and all the members who support me daily through our Facebook group. So that was Julie, one of my course participants, and I'm really grateful to her and to everyone else who has given such great feedback in the course. If you want to join her and many other participants in the course and become a part of our exclusive Facebook group, you can find out more and sign up at christyharrison.com slash course. That's christyharrison.com slash course. And finally, if you love the podcast and want to help us reach more people, you can do that by leaving a great rating and review on iTunes. And by the way, make sure that you're subscribed in iTunes or whatever your favorite podcasting app is, because that really helps us out too, helps us reach more people. And if we have more regular subscribers, it will help with a project that I'm working on that I'm not quite ready to announce yet, but that I think you guys will love and that I'm super excited about. So that's just a little sneak preview of something to come down the line. But meanwhile, make sure you're subscribed in iTunes and also leave us a nice rating and review, which you can do by going to iTunes from your computer or your podcast app on your phone. Type in food psych to the search bar, click on the result that comes up under podcasts, and then click on the ratings and reviews section and you can leave us a nice rating and review there. And all of those great ratings and reviews really make my day, make me so happy and just feel like I'm doing good work in the world when I see how people are responding and appreciating the podcast. So thank you all for helping keep me going with those nice ratings and reviews and leave yours today to help us grow and reach more people who need to hear the body positive message. So now without any further ado, let's go talk to Jennifer McGurk. I spoke with her via Skype from her home in Nyack, New York. So tell me about your relationship with food growing up. Christy, I love how you always ask this question to your guests. And I have to say, I feel like my answer is very similar to everyone else in the sense that my relationship to food was really just pure love and excitement, you know, until it turned ugly in my teenager years. My mom tells me that as a baby and a toddler, I love to eat. Like I was like that person that ate anything and everything, any single kind of food was okay with me. You know, when I remember getting really excited about certain foods, like if we were having pizza night or if we were going out for ice cream, I just remember being like so happy, like food was making me so happy as a kid. And I know that a lot of times we talk about how genetic predispositions like light up our neurotransmitters, like in certain people, it's stronger than others. And, you know, I just have to say that my neurotransmitters might be lighting up more than everyone else because I definitely love food, you know, and still love food to this day. Mm. Yeah. Do you feel like that was something that was cultivated in your family or just kind of passed on genetically or a little bit of both? Yeah. Well, I, I feel like probably a little bit of both. I mean, I feel like my family in terms of food, like it was a very normal relationship with food. Like I always think about Ellen Satter's definition of normal relations, like normal eating. And, you know, that was kind of us, like food was part of our life, but it wasn't everything. But yeah, but I have to say, like, it was a pretty great relationship growing up, you know, until it started to get tarnished. And really what tarnished it was my first weight loss attempt. You know, I was a senior in high school. I'll back up and I'll say that I never really had like 100% great body image. Like, I really struggled growing up with, you know, the negative voices. And I'll be totally sensitive to listeners, you know, and not use numbers. But I was definitely a kid that was on like the lower end of the growth curve for height. You know, I was like a shorter person. And I was on the higher end of the growth curve for weight. So kind of looking back, I was like that my whole entire childhood. That's extremely normal, you know, and just kind of how my body is. But, you know, I always felt like a little uncomfortable because I was a little different than the other people that I was growing up with. Mm hmm. 
So you felt like there was something wrong with your body that you needed to fix. Yeah. Well, it's so funny that you say fix. I never connected food with changing your body as a kid. And that's actually like a really positive thing. I remember eating like this pizza night, ice cream night, nachos, everything under the sun, just loving food so much and never really, you know, as a child realized that like food would impact body shape, size, like that type of stuff. So that was actually really lucky in a sense that I lasted up until probably like 17 years old, you know, not connecting the two. Absolutely. Having these negative body image things, but still, you know, eating everything and, and absolutely loving it. Yeah. That was my experience as well. I really didn't connect the two until college either. Yeah. It's kind of a miracle when people are able to do that, which I feel like in my case was just because, I mean, really the sort of fat phobia of the community around me. I think the only reason I didn't have that was that I was not in a larger body. (laughs) So if I had been, you know, people probably would have told me like, hey, you should eat less. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it's very, it's really protective when you have that around you because changing your food doesn't necessarily change your body that much, you know, long-term. So it's actually not even going to work in the first place. So it's good. It's good. It is. Yeah. But what happened to me, so one of my best friends at the time and still to this day, I mean, we were actually talking about this last week when I told her I was going to mention her story on the podcast (laughs) and, and she left. So she had gone to LA weight loss. I can't believe, I think it's still around, although I know the location near my parents' house has closed since, but she went there and lost a whole bunch of weight. And I don't know if it was just my immaturity at 17 years old or just like like my irrational thinking, but I still remember to this day, I thought, oh, she changed her life. She's so happy. She's doing amazing, you know, because she lost all this weight. Like I want to do that too. So I had her kind of by my side, like losing all this weight. And I went to my parents and I said, Hey, I want to do LA weight loss. And my mom just looked at me and she's like, well, okay, really? You're sure? <laughs> and, I, and I said, yes, I really want to do this. I want to change my life. And then my mom started to be like a little like questionable. Both my parents were health conscious and like conscious of weight and supported me getting healthier. But my mom's answer to the whole thing was, well, I'm not going to pay for it. <laughs> so <laughs> I, and I'll, I'll tell you this number, cause this is actually a funny number. I was making $6 an hour at the time, <laughs> 17 wow. years old. Oh my gosh. And I probably blew how many paychecks on paying for this program and started my first weight loss attempt and really honestly started my eating disorder when I was 17. It really was the thing that kicked my disordered eating into gear. So common. Yeah, right? It's like the perfect storm of all the emotions of being 17, senior in high school, prom, you know, all this stuff and tornado of like starting a diet and boom, it was there. Yeah. Fast forward, I did the pro this is actually really funny. I probably was perfect on the program for maybe two weeks. And then I realized this kind of sucks. And I you know, remember I had this life of my friends and we were going out for pizza and ice cream. And I remember there's one really classic picture of us with four spoons, like with a whole entire carton of ice cream at like a baseball game. And we were all eating it. And I just still to this picture, I have it, you know, in my photo album. I just love it because that's like us. We always got together around food all the time. And really, honestly, I felt bad because these foods were not on the plan. Like this plan was so restrictive. And I remember counting things and like counting grapes. Like I still remember that. So crazy. Like who counts grapes? 
Like the plan was, and you know, the foods weren't allowed, but I really wanted to eat them. So it started my like restricting of the already restrictive plan. And that's really what kicked in binging disorder for me. So I would try to be so good and try to like save up these points, plans, whatever it was for the foods that I really wanted to eat. And it just didn't work because your body is a very smart machine Mm -hmm. and binging. Yeah. Binging is such a smart response by your body. You know, it's like, it's something that as a sufferer of binging, when you're going through it, you really don't want, and it doesn't feel good at all, but it's like, it actually is your body doing a lot to protect you. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. I don't exactly remember what I was eating down to like the actual plan of the food, but I just remember it being so restrictive and hardly anything during the day. And no wonder, like you get hungry, like you, (laughs) you're meant to eat. And that's definitely 100% smart of your body. Mm -hmm. So it led into this restrict binge cycle for you. It sounds like. Yes. And really, honestly, it was a little bit of orthorexia too. Back then, early 2000s, orthorexia wasn't even a term, but I kind of just became very like obsessive and planning and kind of a little OCD about food and just not in a flexible place at all. But the silver lining of it all was that, you know, really it was the summer before college and growing up in Pennsylvania, I'm definitely a line of Penn Staters in my family. I had already committed to Penn State and luckily Penn State has every single major under the sun. And I decided to be a nutrition major because I was kind of like really into this and, you know, I really liked this healthy nutrition and I really wanted to kind of find out the answer of (laughs) weight loss and, you know, nutrition and everything like that. So luckily, I mean, like count my blessings, that turmoil time of my teenage years did really lead me to become a nutrition major, which is really awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And did that exacerbate the condition or do you feel like it helped set you on the right path? Yeah, it's really funny because, I mean, I feel like everyone, like a lot of dietitians or RDs to be say that, you know, oh, well, the nutrition training can be exacerbating with disordered eating. But I think for me, coming from the place that I was at when I was 18 years old, I was in like a really bad place. So going into my nutrition classes, like I think Penn State was really helpful for me in terms of finally I heard the message of all foods fit. You know, and I heard the message of like, you know, the food guide pyramid, which, you know, is a much smarter eating quote unquote plan than my weight loss plan that I was trying to follow. Right. So I don't think that the nutrition training is really protective for a lot of people, but I think for me, it got me from a pretty bad place to a better place, if that makes sense. Totally. Yeah. It helped you take steps out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't necessarily cured. You know, I don't want anyone to think that like, oh, you take a nutrition class and you're much better. That definitely came later for me, but it was, you know, helpful. Yeah. That was my experience too. It was the first steps out of it or really, I mean, I had been a food writer for a while before I went back to school for nutrition. So those were sort of the first steps, but then going back to school was like additional steps out of the disordered eating and sort of reinforcing that all foods fit and that there isn't such a thing as good and bad foods. Even though I got messages from some of my classes, like, oh, calories are what you have to worry about. You know, that was the part that was sort of triggering was starting to think about that. But in terms of like actual foods and food groups, it was really nice to be told like nothing should be demonized. Everything is on the table. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And there was a message of moderation, portion size, you know, like those 
restrictive types of messages in the Penn State program, but there was no eating disorder education or health at every size or anything like that. I mean, I still, I'm not sure if there is to this day, but you know, I think at least from where I was to where I went to when I was in college, it was definitely helpful. But yeah, but I still had like so many thoughts and and not necessarily as many behaviors as I used to in terms of disordered stuff, but, you know, definitely some body image things and anxiety and just kind of like turmoil in my head in a sense. I didn't want to diet, but, you know, I was kind of jealous of people around me that were dieting and losing weight. And I had this kind of like messed up relationship in my head. Yeah. Did you share that with anyone at the time? No. So I put on a pretty good mask, I should say, of, you know, healthy, (laughs) healthy living, healthy eating, that type of thing. But, you know, kind of dealt with this on my own until I really got treatment for it. So I was, it, it lasted, you know, in college, I lasted through my dietetic internship at Hopkins. I mean, that year was so crazy for me, as I'm sure it is for a lot of dietitians. Like the internship year is just so insane. And I kind of always said to myself, like, oh, well, when this is over, it'll get better. Oh, when you do this, it'll get better. Like, I knew I was actually moving to New York City because my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, lived there. And I said, oh, well, when you move to New York City, it'll get better. When you get your first job, it'll get better. And, you know, really, it was probably a couple months after I hit all of those amazing career goals. And, you know, everything in my professional life was going so well and everything in my personal life was going so well. But I just kind of said, like, I'm not better, you know, like I really need to try to get more help or at least try to get something quote unquote fixed. Although therapy is not something that you fix, you know what I mean? Like you kind (laughs) of really work on yourself, but that's when I ended therapy. And I really, I, at the time too, it was so crazy. I read intuitive eating and I said like, you know, I kept on saying to myself, oh, well, I don't want to diet, but I want to live a healthy lifestyle, but I don't think that this is the answer because I'm not feeling that great. Like what is the answer? And I read intuitive eating and I was like, this is the answer. Like this is the Bible, but I couldn't necessarily do it on my own. You know, I really tried to be an intuitive eater with no help for maybe like a couple of weeks and it still wasn't really working for me. So I really needed to find more support. Mm-hmm. So did you seek out a therapist who specialized in intuitive eating or? No, well, I, I found a therapist who were, you know, anxiety, who said she dealt with some food things and she was really perfect for me at the time. What I wish, and I will say this, I will shout it from the mountains. I wish I would have seen an eating disorders dietitian, even though I was a brand new dietitian at the time. Like I really wish, like looking back that I saw someone like me, like how I am now with my clients, because I feel like that would have really helped me, but I did it on my own with my therapist, kind of using intuitive eating as a kind of like a a resource. Mm -hmm. That's so similar to my story, actually. That's like pretty much exactly how it was for me too. And then when I learned later, like, oh, this is a specialization you can do in the dietetics field and you can actually go see eating disorder dietitians for this kind of stuff. I was like, oh, where were you when I I I needed this? You know, where was this information? I know. I know. And I think that that's why we're so good at our jobs because we know what we need to do to help someone in that situation. You know, like we know how food and nutrition counseling can really, really help. And it's not a typical dietitian, although I know you and I don't consider ourselves typical dietitians, but it's not a typical dietitian's job. It's really like a specialization. So it really is so important for people to get that nutrition counseling because it's it's a really important piece of the puzzle. 
And it is such a different specialization than just traditional dietetics to the point where like people who see traditional dietitians or non-specialized dietitians for eating disorders often have said to me that they've had it had their condition exacerbated because the dietitian will be like, yeah. oh, well, this is the amount of calories you need to be eating and put it into, you know, this tracker or whatever and log your activity. And it's like just giving them more fodder for obsession. Exactly. Yeah. But I, and I don't necessarily think that that is the dietitian's fault. I think that we're just not trained, you know, in eating disorders and this stuff well enough. So I, my first job was at a diabetes center and, you know, I ran a weight loss group. Like looking back, I just, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry to all of those clients that came. And really, you know, looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did XYZ knowing what I know now. But at the time, I had no idea. Like I had no idea what I was doing to harm people because I thought I was doing the right thing. So you can't really know what you don't know. And I think that that's why, you know, education for health at every size and education for eating disorders is so important in the dietitian curriculum. And unfortunately, it's just not there. Yeah. No, I so agree because I think this information is out there. There's a huge body of literature on what it takes to help people recover from eating disorders. And that's been there for decades now, you know, and only growing. And health at every size has been around for more than a decade. And like, or, you know, the sort of roots of it go back to the 70s, I think. And so- yeah why is this information? It's like, we're all reinventing the wheel. I feel like every time (laughs) I talk to a dietitian on the podcast and I really connect with their story, it's like validating for me. And I'm sure for other dietitians or RDs to be listening, it's probably validating like, oh, wow, I'm not the only person struggling with this. I'm not crazy. I, you know, this is something a lot of us go through, but also I'm like, why is this happening still? Like we have the information to make this not have to happen. We have the information to help people learn about how to treat eating disorders and health at every size before they get out there and do something to the contrary in their job and then have to sort of learn on their own through self-study and look back and be like, oh, I'm so sorry to those early clients that I might have harmed, you know? And it's yeah. like, th- we, we could avoid that, you know? We could really avoid that. I know. We could. I think that we're climbing an uphill battle, but I think that we will get there. Like, we will get to the top. I have every bit of faith in us, you know, as a community that we will help change future dietitians. Yes, I do too. Well, and so you have a petition that you've put forward to the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes. So I'm so excited about this. So really it happened, it kind of happened full circle because last year I worked on a presentation for Fancy, and, you know, Fancy is the biggest nutrition conference that dietitians attend. I presented with Julie Duffy Dillon and Rebecca Scritchfield in Boston. And I felt like that kind of put us on a little bit of a pedestal for making changes if change was going to happen. So when this new certification, and it's officially called a certification in obesity and weight management, I absolutely do not like the name, but that's what it's called. When it came out, it's from the Commission on Dietetic Registration. So, you know, the credentialing agency for dietitians. Basically, when it came out, it had all of the references and all of the curriculum materials on why weight loss is really good and how to help people that are quote unquote obese manage their weight. And I looked through the curriculum and I was just like, this is going against so many different things that I believe in. And coming off of Fancy, I felt like I had a little bit of name recognition just because of how 
the whole presentation went at Fancy, presenting on the hidden faces of eating disorders. And I said, you know what, I'm going to use this for good. And I'm going to try my very hardest to try to get something done right now, now that I have a little bit more of an audience. And I created a petition. So the petition basically says that health at every size principle should be included in this certification. I use personally the word weight concerns. You know, I don't really use weight management. That's just better for me. I'm more comfortable using that term. Yeah, I agree. I feel like that's (laughs) a a better approach to like capturing people who are feeling like their concern or their issue is their weight, but sort of framing it in a way that's more realistic. Yes. So basically what my petition says is that we should include the health at every size principles in the curriculum and really kind of have this be almost something that, you know, if people are going to see, if dietitians and other professionals are going to see people with weight concerns, I want them to be educated in these principles because this Mm -hmm. is so important. Yes, I love it. And yeah, this is, so the credential in weight management or the certificate in weight management that the CDR is offering isn't just for dietitians. That w- that's what blew my mind. It's like they opened it up to other health professionals as well. Yeah. So they say that it takes a team approach to treat someone with quote unquote obesity. And I have to put that in quotes because, you know, that's not coming from me. Um, And basically doctors can take it. Physical therapists can take it. Dietitians can take it. Medical professionals, counseling professionals. So, you know, it is open to a lot of different disciplines. But I think that that is even more important because as dietitians, we want the CDR to know that, you know, okay, all these different disciplines should not necessarily be promoting weight loss. Nothing good comes from promoting weight loss. Absolutely. Nothing. It only serves to send people further into disordered eating and body shame, which of course, if you're ashamed and hate something and feel negatively towards it, you're not going to take good care of it. So if we're really out to help people take care of themselves and improve their health, like what are we doing? (laughs) Yes, exactly. And the CDR have, they did take notice. So right now the petition, it is February, you know, 2017. Right now it has about 500, almost close to 600 signatures, you know, so they have responded and they have educated me on how the certification came to be. And basically with the nutrition piece of it and with the dietitian piece of it, they survey dietitians belonging to the weight management dietetic practice group and also the diabetes care practice group. So they missed all of us that work with eating disorders. You know, they really didn't survey us to get our quote unquote best practice guidelines. So, you know, it's even more important that we in the fields that are dealing with this health at every size and, you know, especially binge eating, binge eating is not even in the certification for obesity and weight management. And their response to that was that it's a subspecialty, which I can understand, you know, binging disorder is a clinical eating disorder. Not every single dietitian is going to want to see clinical eating disorders, but I, I think there's a statistic out there from the journal that says, you know, half of people struggling with weight concerns, you know, deal with some form of binging disorder. So why it's not there is completely, it's just mind boggling to me. Right. These are people who come in the door saying it's about weight concerns and don't know they have an eating disorder, haven't really accepted that. And so if people are, if any dietitian, I think should be trained in eating disorders, at least enough to recognize and refer someone for treatment with an eating disorder specialist when they see the signs. Yeah, definitely. And I think gastric bypass is a huge the first thing that comes to mind when you say that is gastric bypass, like how many dietitians are working in gastric bypass that are seeing clients with eating disorders and not referring them out. So I know it's tragic. Yes. 
but it's something that we can change. I mean, I feel like sometimes when I think about this, I get very a little down. I'm like, okay, can I really do something? Like I'm climbing an uphill battle, but I really do think that we can unite you know, as a community and at least show the CDR and the AND that we're here and we have this voice and we're totally willing to work with them. I mean, the people that I talked to at the CDR were the absolute nicest people. Like they're hearing us. So it's not like we're getting the door slammed on us. We they, They're open to communication and they're open to talking. It's just right now they're not going to change. But, you know, if we have enough people, hopefully, hopefully they hear our message even louder. Absolutely. And I think the fact that this credential is open to people in other professions also opens the door for like listeners of this podcast who are health professionals in any field, not just dietitians, can sign this petition and their signature will have some meaning, right? Because these are potential, you know, the potential audience of this credential. So if, if we're hearing from hundreds or thousands of people who could potentially take this credential that like, I'm not going to take this because it doesn't have important information about health at every size, maybe CDR will actually pay attention to that. Definitely. Yeah, they did tell me that I could take it and provide feedback. And I I was caught (laughs) off guard. I was like, um... (laughs) Thank you. <laughs> right. But. Because yeah, dietitians who are already steeped in health at every size and get it don't want to be involved with something that's promoting quote weight management or quote obesity treatment. Like that's just antithetical to what we know to be true. And so of course, dietitians who who are versed in health at every size probably aren't in the CDR or in the dietetic practice group for weight management, right? It's it's a very biased sample that they took from because yes. this is not representing, you know, all the other specialties that don't agree that weight management needs to be so much of a thing. Yes, 100%. Yeah. And I, I'm certainly hopeful as well. I think having conversations like this, making it clear the harm that weight management does to people and also the alternatives that exist and the really strong, robust research behind health at every size and what it takes to recover from eating disorders and how to learn intuitive eating. All of that, I think, is if we get the message out about that and people are paying attention, it can't help but change things. You know, it just might definitely might take a while and it might take some some petitioning and some persistence, right? Yes. But it will happen. It will happen. It will happen. It's actually so funny. It feels to me like I'm coming full circle because in March I'm actually going to Penn State. And the Student Nutrition Association asked me to speak, and I'm talking about intuitive eating. So <gasps> that's so exciting. <laughs> I know. I'm like so excited. I'm like full circle. Like I'm totally. going back to the place where it all started and bringing this message to them. So I feel like anything that we can do as members of this community, it's all positive stuff. Yeah, so. that's awesome. I know I try to say yes to anything involving students because I feel like if I can spread this message to people at that phase of their career, it's got to help. Yeah. It's going to put one more person out there in the field who gets it. So definitely. Yeah. Well, so we're going to include a link to this petition in the show notes and hopefully everyone listening to the podcast or at least all the health professionals. I don't know. Can members of the public sign it or does that really? Yes. Okay. Anyone. Yeah. So anyone. Health professionals or members of the, of the community, you know, anyone is welcome to sign it. Amazing. Well, let's get thousands of people to sign it then. Everybody yes. listening, <laughs> go for it. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, I'm so curious because you went on to start your private practice, right? So when did you sort of make the transition from doing the diabetes weight loss group and everything like that to kind of bringing your awareness of intuitive eating into your practice? 
Yeah. So I feel like it was another kind of full circle moment when this was me in my early 20s working at the Diabetes Institute. And I just kind of felt like I was there for three years. And as the months went by, I was just like, this is not for me. This is not for me. This is not for me. Like I knew that I wanted to do something, you know, a little bit more passionate per se. Um, I wasn't really that passionate, obviously, about the weight loss group. (laughs) So as I healed myself, you know, in my own experience with intuitive eating, I really thought to myself, could I see eating disorders? Like, could I, you know, help other people do this type of work too? And at first my answer was no, you know, I just wanted to like do something else. I just didn't want to do diabetes anymore. But when my boyfriend, now my husband, bought a house up here in Rockland, I said, you know what? now's the time. I'm going to do a private practice. And, you know, I think I'm going to specialize in eating disorders. And I think I'm going to give this a shot. I also had, you know, other jobs at the time. You know, I, I one of my best jobs actually was working in the student health center at Manhattanville College. So I got to experience, you know, all the eating disorder stuff there that goes on in a college atmosphere. I think that that was great experience. But like, you know, I left my job in diabetes. I had some other jobs and, you know, really started my private practice. It was only like five and a half years ago. So it really has blown up since then, which is really great. Yeah. The biggest reason for me wanting to start my own private practice is I wanted to do what I wanted to do. Like I wanted to be passionate about the work that I wanted to do. I wanted to be my own boss. I didn't want anyone telling me I had to run a weight loss group anymore. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. I really wanted to see the clients that I wanted to see. And as I got more into the eating disorder world with more training and supervision and expertise, you know, I really found that I was good at this. Like I'm good because I had so much empathy from what I went through personally. And I also kind of knew what to say and I knew how to talk to people and I knew how to talk to parents. And all of a sudden I just felt my career just kind of blowing up because I kind of accidentally fell into the private practice world. Yeah, I so identify with that. That's exactly why I started a private practice too, because I just couldn't stand the thought of having to carry out someone else's mission that was not aligned with, you know, what I knew to be true about food and relationships with food. And yes. it's I think private practice for dietitians is kind of the way to go. And I think for a lot of other health professionals too, I think it's really hard to function within a hospital system, for example without having to like either execute some form of weight management protocols and like talking to people about their weight or whatever it is or having to constantly fight against that. Right. Which is. Oh yeah. Yeah. Exhausting. (laughs) And having, yeah. And private practice really allows you to kind of do what you want to do in your career. You know, if you want to counsel, that's awesome. And that's great. You could spend a hundred percent of your time counseling, but you can do other things too. Like, you know, you can do projects, you can do consulting work, you can even partner with another agency and do different things like that. Like you're kind of in charge of your own destiny. And I think for me and my personality, you know, it's just perfect. I tell dietitians all the time, you do not have to do weight loss to be successful in private practice. And I will say that over and over and over again, because a lot of dietitians think that, you know, oh, well, if I don't do weight loss, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you don't want to sell weight loss either because you're not selling anything. Like you're not selling true. Right, right. It's a false promise. Exactly. Exactly. I know. I've heard that from a lot of dietitians as well. And I think especially other health professions too, like health coaches or personal trainers or those sort of allied professions where it's even more emphasis on like looks and weight and people coming to you for getting a certain kind of body or sometimes for like orthorexia style advice, like they want you to do an elimination diet or they want you to put them on some sort of plan that's going to 
magically fix all their health problems or whatever, like, you know, eating plan. I think those cases too, it's like, that's the motivation there sometimes is weight loss in disguise. And so for people to sort of draw a harder line and say like, I'm a health at every size provider, I don't do weight loss and here's why feels very scary because it feels like it's going to alienate clients. Oh yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I have to say that I think it's really refreshing for clients that are seeing someone like you, like seeing a health at every size provider, because they know that you're going to be truthful with them. They know that you're not going to try to sell them weight loss. They know that your heart is in the right place almost, you know, with your recommendations. So it's very refreshing, but I mean, I do have to say it's harder to get clients in the sense that you have to be really strategic with your marketing and almost align yourself up with other professionals that are in your own belief system. But that's how I get a lot of my clients. You know, I have a lot of therapists and doctors that I work with that are health at every size friendly that will send people to me knowing what I stand for and knowing what my brand stands for, that I'm not going to put you on a weight loss diet. Nutrition counseling is so powerful and can help so much without weight loss. Like you don't need to be doing weight loss to be like a really effective dietitian. Right. And I would argue even you're more effective if you're not doing weight loss yes. because yes. intentional weight loss is not effective, right? So oh, yes, no, hundred percent. Taking something out of your practice that doesn't have any potential to be effective and just focusing on the stuff that does. Oh yeah. To me, that's much more rewarding. So definitely. Yeah. And I think that's a good point too about networking with like-minded people and making your marketing really precise because I've found, you know, I've shared this on the podcast before, like when I was kind of trying to straddle the line and be like, well, I'll take people who want to lose weight and sort of guide them in a more health at every size direction. And I'll, I'll be open to like their weight concerns at the beginning and try to shift them more into my view or whatever. And all my marketing was, was that like kind of straddly sort of language too. I felt like I was not fulfilled myself and I was getting a lot of people who were ending up frustrated because they were kind of coming in wanting something and I wasn't able to like either give it to them or stand up for why I wouldn't give it to them. But as soon as I really honed my marketing and was became much more clear on the podcast, even about anti-diet philosophy and health at every size and why I don't promote weight loss, I feel like suddenly my interest and, you know, the inquiries really jumped and people came in the door knowing what I did. And it's been so much more effective and fun to work with those clients because they come in getting it. And even if they're like, well, part of me still wants to lose weight. I haven't totally given up that dream. Like, that's fine. It takes forever to really give up that dream, yeah. you know? So it's, it's understandable. Oh, yeah. But if they come in, you know, at that place versus coming in at a place of like, I absolutely have to have weight loss and, that's a core value of mine. Like those are very different sort of populations, you know? Oh yeah. And I always like to say too, think about your dream client, you know, in private practice, you can't work with like a hundred percent of your dream clients just because, you know, that would, that would be awesome if you could, but yeah. you know, a lot of times it doesn't happen, but think about your dream client and think about where they're at. Think about what they're doing. Think about where they're looking for their information and make everything that you do speak to them because then they're going to walk into your door. You can't market to everybody because you're not going to get anybody. You know, you have to really think about like, who are you trying to sell your service to? And your service is not like a salesy type of thing. Your service really will change people's lives, you know? So that's the most beautiful gift that someone can give themselves is working with someone with eating disorder experience when like health at every size experience, because they're really going to get something out of it. 
Yeah, and selling that is not selling in the sort of salesy, no. gross way. It's it's like if you can sort of put that negative image of sales aside and just think about you're trying to connect with people who need what you're doing and you're trying to help them. Yes. You can't help them if they can't find you. <laughs> so Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's a really great point about speaking to your ideal client because your or your dream client, because like the reality is that other people are going to come to you as well. And people who might not even read your marketing and just like, you know, you're, if you take insurance, they're recommended by the insurance website, or they heard about you through a friend and they don't really know what the friend was seeing you for, but they're like heard that you were good. And so they come to you, but not realizing your whole anti-diet philosophy or whatever it is. So you're going to get those people anyway. So you might as well really target your marketing to make sure that you get the most of your dream client as possible versus definitely having your marketing be wishy-washy and then getting very few of your dream clients as a result. Exactly. And that's going to increase your whole entire private practice experience. People get burnt out in private practice all the time when they don't get the people that they really, really want. So it really is so worthwhile on both sides for you to be working with, you know, the types of people that you want to, and you can do it. You know, that's like my advice to any dietitian or healthcare professional that wants to work in health at every size. You will have a lot of clients at your doorstep. I guarantee it because the public wants this and it's only going to grow from here. Yeah, I know. I think people who are doing this now are really in on the ground floor and it's just going to become more and more of a thing as time goes on. And I've already seen it. Like, I feel like the explosion of body positivity, even though it's been sort of co-opted in some ways by diet culture, like you have Weight Watchers magazine being like, we're body positive, like, no. But, (laughs) you know, aside from that, there has been sort of this influx into the body positive movement. And so many more coaches are doing this. and, And a lot of dietitians are like starting to bridge or switching gears into a more health at every size focus. And I think there's renewed interest in intuitive eating. It's all kind of moving in the right direction. Yeah. And so many different populations are embracing it too. You're not just seeing adults, like you're seeing teenagers, you're seeing families, you're seeing moms, you're seeing pediatricians, like you're seeing so many different types of people like embrace this that I think it's only going to grow from here. Totally. Yeah. It's becoming much more mainstream. Yeah. And it's also becoming, I mean, I think there's two sides to that, of course, like as it becomes more mainstream, it's message and power sometimes gets diluted. So there's that to sort of watch out for, like making sure that what the version of intuitive eating someone is proposing is not just a diet in disguise. Cause there is. Yes. Yes. There's, there's the intuitive eating for weight loss people, Right. (laughs) you know, like that is definitely a diet in disguise. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's really unfortunate to see that and to see that that's still a thing that like people are promoting and marketing intuitive eating as a way to just effortlessly lose weight because of course that's just buying right into the whole thin ideal and diet mentality paradigm that we're all fed constantly in various different ways yeah so that's certainly something to watch for but i think what would you say to to someone who's starting a private practice with intuitive eating and kind of feels pulled in that direction. Like, well, I have to mention, or even if their personal story of intuitive eating involved some gradual weight loss or something, like what's, what's the sort of danger in that and how do you do it differently? 
Well, I think, I mean, I think with intuitive eating, weight loss is not necessarily something that's frowned upon, just like weight gain isn't frowned upon. Like basically when you start intuitive eating, you're either going to lose weight, gain weight or stay the same, you know, and no one really knows what you're going to do until you start doing it. But I think as a, as a newbie in private practice, I think that you can definitely mention weight concerns. Like I had one person ask me, well, do I just not talk about weight then? Do I not say anything about weight? Do I not even ask growth history or anything like that for people? And I said, no, you got to talk about it. But I think if you talk about it in a way that's almost asking questions and being curious and kind of asking clients, well, what does that feel like? And what does that mean to you? And what are your weight concerns? You know, you open up the doors of honest communication, you know, and you can really help people realize that, you know, weight loss diets are not the way to go. You know, like if you have all the, if you don't talk about weight, you don't have the full story for a lot of people. You know, a lot of people have weight concerns, but it's not necessarily saying that they want to lose weight or they want to gain weight. They just have weight concerns. Like they want to talk about weight. So I think you have to be open to having the conversation, but you don't necessarily need to do quote unquote weight loss counseling. If someone has weight concerns, they don't necessarily mix something having weight concerns, wanting to lose weight. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's a really good distinction because weight concerns, pretty much <laughs> our whole society has some negative body image, right? And we're all yeah programmed to have weight concerns from a very young age because we're told our bodies are wrong if they don't look a certain way. So people coming in with weight concerns, that's very understandable. But I think, yeah, getting to like, what does your weight mean to you? What is it? What is this dream of weight loss really about? Because like your experience too, it's like this assumption that it just means you're going to be happier and fulfilled and successful if you lose weight is an assumption that really needs some unpacking and some oh yeah kind of debunking right it's silly yeah <laughs> it's so silly like if you think about like even my story you know i thought she was so much happier when she lost all the weight like it's so <laughs> silly to right. think about it really is just something that I just look back on and I'm just like, oh, I was 17. <laughs> but, right. you know, a lot of people, I mean, I will say a lot of people much older than that still feel that way. They have those concerns, rightfully so, because of everything that they've been fed in through the media. The media information is wrong, but it's out there. So people are hearing this message all the time. Yeah. And I think it also, I think that message sometimes can like color a person's experience in various ways too. Like if you're the person that that's happening to, if you're the person that loses a bunch of weight temporarily, because of course it doesn't last, but if you have the sort of diet honeymoon phase that some people go through where you do lose some weight and people start commenting on it, and there's this myth out there that you're going to be happier. It sort of, I think, feeds right into people believing the myth, you know, people oh, yeah. Yeah. feeling like, oh, this is it. It's happening. It's all happening. Like I'm getting the praise. I'm getting the validation. I'm getting what I was promised. And then, of course, it never lasts, right? It's like this ephemeral thing that goes away and, you know, the weight comes back because your body's smart and knows what to do. And so then you're sort of chasing that dragon, Oh, yeah. And it's it's almost like you're chasing something like you're chasing a high that you're never going to get that high again because your body is now a smarter machine. And it's going to be even harder for you to lose that weight because it's just your body's mechanism of fighting back. It really is. I mean, I understand I have so much empathy for the power feeling of someone feeling so powerful in that moment, but it's almost like you have to take a look at your values, you know, like what else makes you feel powerful? Like what truly could make you feel like you have more self-esteem and confidence and power that is really value-based 
in your assessment of your own self? And like, can you use that to put a fire under your butt to get yourself in a better place other than the weight loss? Because the weight loss is just scientifically not going to happen. Right. Exactly. It's just not, it's not sustainable. And we're told this lie. I, it just struck me how similar in some ways this is to the sort of lie we're told about love and romance, where like if you find the one, if you find love, everything in your life is going to be perfect, you know, and that like oh, yeah. it's going to fix everything, right? It's like that same sort of myth of like, if I could only just find, and it's like once you're in it and you sort of realize like, no, life just continues to happen and you're still the same person with the same issues and those issues might come up in your relationship and it's not like everything just falls into place you know it's sort of disappointing right and the same with no. with weight loss it's like it's sort of disappointing that things don't stay in that honeymoon place for long and it's never going to be that way forever it's not going to fix everything for you that life is sort of it's like you're having to just really create your own fulfillment or look to what brings you fulfillment and create that joy for yourself without looking to something outside of yourself to do that. Oh, definitely. 100%. I know the other thing I think of too, is how people always say to new moms, like, oh, you have a baby, like your life begins now. Like this is amazing. (laughs) Like your child is like, so, you know, the best gift in the world. And, you know, as a new mom myself, I have a two and a half year old, like I'm telling you, life is different. It's chaotic. It is like a different life than what it was pre-kids. And, you know, it's awesome. It's great, but it is definitely chaotic, (laughs) you know? So it's not this like complete 100% beautiful picture that everyone kind of makes it out to be. And yeah, the myth that it is, is sort of damaging, right? Because if you feel like you should be feeling all this joy constantly and not feeling overwhelmed and exhausted, then what's wrong with you? You know, when in reality, like everybody feels that way, right? Yes. My gosh, I know. It is really, I think postpartum is the toughest period for anyone, any woman to go through that has had kids. And I think that that is really 100% not talked about in society. Basically, like people come up to you and you're like, oh, your kid's only that little once, like enjoy every minute of it. Like I'm thinking of all the people that said that to me and I just wanted to like cry, like, but my kid won't stop crying and I haven't gotten any sleep. And, you know, I've eaten with one hand every meal for the past like 10 meals that I can think of. (laughs) So it really is like, I laugh when you say that with love and romance. It's like that was so many different things too. Oh yeah, totally. I'm thinking of that, especially because I just got engaged recently and I'm, you know, it's super exciting and wonderful, but it's like also it's just life, you know, it's still, it's like a great moment in time, but people, a lot of people have said to me like, enjoy this, you know, the same thing, like this only happens once and really relish it. And I'm like, okay, cool. But also like, you know, also the world exists and the political situation and, you know, that's not fun. (laughs) Like life just keeps happening, right? It's life is still here. Life is still here. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's, it's sort of, important to like keep that in mind too that these myths are just that myths you know they're sold to us and perpetuated and we don't have to buy into them that everything's going to be perfect just because your body's a certain way or everything's going to be perfect just because you're in love or because you have a baby or whatever it's you know yeah it still has its ups and downs right 100 percent. in terms of pregnancy too with body image i'd be curious to hear your your thoughts on that like how did your body image change in the postpartum phase or throughout pregnancy yeah 
Well, so when when I got married and got pregnant, um, I was pretty far into my recovery. I mean, I was recovered for a good solid couple of years, you know, maybe even like seven, eight years at that point. But it really tested me. I mean, I have to say pregnancy in and of itself was great for me. Like the well, I was like the first time I actually am. My big news is that I am pregnant again right now. Woo-hoo. I'm 13 weeks. Yeah. So <laughs> this pregnancy is very different than my first one. But with my first pregnancy, it was all great. It was wonderful. I felt awesome. I felt energized. I felt great. This time around, not so much. This time around has been much harder. But I have to say the postpartum period for my first child, Connor, was probably the most difficult maybe two months of my life. Like It was so tough because I think I had that moment of, this is it. This is great. This is awesome. And I didn't really realize how hard the postpartum period was coming as a person with prior anxiety, like I knew I was definitely at risk for postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. And, you know, I had it 100%. And even though I tried to take good care of myself as much as I possibly could, I don't think I really expected no sleep, crying baby, not knowing exactly what I was doing, like just a chaotic time in my life of just a new life. You know, like I can't, I can't really explain it other than that. It basically going from zero to one, and I'm sure going from one to two will be just as hard, but it's almost like I just end my current life and I have a new life for over a while until I can get parts of my old life back when I am actually ready to do so. Yeah. With body image, I have to say like, so pregnancy body image was actually for me the first time around really great, but you have to almost relearn your body. You have to relearn, you know, the body that you're in. You almost have to relearn health at every size too, because you're changing. You have this thing inside of you that is causing your entire body to kind of not become your own anymore. And, you know, things like for me, at least things like running were just out the window. Like I couldn't do it. Certain types of exercise you can't really do certain sleeping positions you can't do. There's, you know, different things with your body that you can't eat in terms of pregnancy. There's, you know, different things that feel different. And it's almost like you have to relearn how you feel and relearn your response to different things. So pregnancy is, is a tough time for a lot of people, but the postpartum period is, you know, 100% more, at least it was for me, more chaotic. Mm, yeah, because of all the the feelings and sort of emotional experience of it, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of people, there was actually a really great article that I saw yesterday in the Nurtured Mama community on why we diet postpartum, you know? And I think the the author, Lindsay, was talking about how we want to kind of feel like a little bit like our old selves. And I can totally relate to that. Like I never really wanted to diet postpartum. I just really wanted to get back to normal. Like I just kind of said that to myself all the time. I just want to get back to normal. I just want to feel normal. I just want to, I didn't really want to lose weight. It wasn't for me about that, but I, for me, it was definitely like, I want to go back to running. Like I want to go, I want to actually cook for myself. Like, so I did connect those two things, but looking back in hindsight, you know, I just wanted to get part of my normal life back in my normal life now of intuitive eating. You know, I really do like to move my body. I like to exercise. I like to go to yoga. I like to cook. You know, I also love chocolate and junk food and all that kind of stuff too. Like, don't get me wrong, but I just wanted some part of my normal life back. And I think that that was what I was really wanting in the postpartum period. And looking back, a lot of people connect that to weight loss. Right. Yeah. It's, I think if you haven't done the work to really get into solid recovery or reject the diet mentality fully before pregnancy, there's that tendency, right? It's like, 
there's some way in which your body symbolizes your pre-pregnancy life. And if you could get your pre-pregnancy body back, somehow everything falls into place, right? It's another one of those myths, I guess. Yeah, no, definitely. And you see it all the time with like celebrities and magazines and, you know, people talking about like how to lose the baby weight, like get your pre-pregnancy weight back. And, you know, I actually have a really great story too. Like, so again, I'm not going to use numbers, but I was my highest weight when I gave birth to my son. And, you know, right away I lost some baby weight, meaning like my son was seven pounds, 13 ounces. You know, you're going to lose that. You're going to lose a little bit of the placenta weight. You're going to lose, you know, some of the fluids that you might've been given in the hospital. And I went to the doctor's office like a week after just for a follow-up. And of course they take your weight there. And I, you know, knew my weight. I went back at my six week appointment and I was actually more like I had gained weight in that time of being so turmoil and chaotic in my life. And the nurse goes to me, oh, we don't see that too often. And I just could have cried. I'm telling you, I could have cried. And that to me, like, you know, feeling so upset about that, I was like, why do I feel so upset about that? And that's when I really connected the two, like, oh, I just want to be normal. Like, I just want to feel like some sort of normal, but I get it. I get how people feel. They almost feel out of control because their life at the time is out of control. And the beautiful, like full circle story of that was, of course, when you're pregnant and postpartum, you go to the doctor all the time. I remember going back to the doctor, like I think for my like three month checkup or something like that. And I had started at that point taking better care of myself and doing all the self-care things and like kind of saying to myself, like I need, you know, to go to a yoga class at least once a week. I need to do some sort of grocery shopping and cooking to feel good about what I'm eating. I need to eat intuitively. So it was the three month mark. And I just remember going into the doctor's office and feeling so great. I step on the scale and I'm the exact same number. (laughs) Like beautiful. Like being like, like sigh of relief. Like I did it, you know, like I don't care about my weight anymore. Like I'm better. I'm in a much better place. And that was just the full circle of like, okay, I'm in a great place with myself right now. Yeah. That meaning that it, that you attach to it doesn't have to be there. And, and it's so interesting with bodies, like the exact same body, the exact same size can have different meanings to us depending on where we're at. Right. Yeah. Depending on what's going on with your life and depending on how you feel about your body image. So when clients tell me these stories of, well, oh, I just have to lose pounds and, oh, I just have to do this. I just have to do that. I'm like, no, what we have to do is we have to change your body image. We have to do the work. You know, the number on the scale is not important. Like it's how you feel in your own skin is really where the work comes from. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's hard, I think, for people to embrace and accept that sometimes, right? Because there's so much messaging to the contrary. And sometimes at first it can feel like just burying your head in the sand. You know, I've had people say that to me, like, I don't want to pretend everything's okay and learn to love my body because then I'm ignoring this elephant in the room, so to speak. Yeah. Which I get it from a diet mentality saying that or from an eating disorder perspective saying that, like, I completely can empathize because I was there myself too. I definitely thought those things. But I think it's just so interesting, the perspective shift you can have where, now it's like, why would I ever change my body? It's it's anytime I have a negative body image thought, it's always about something else, you know? And that's, oh, yeah. I've yeah. truly internalized that. Yeah. What else is going on that you're blaming your body for? What really is it? And I think a lot of times people don't know. They have to do the work to kind of figure out where it's coming from. But once you do the work and you can really kind of dig deep, 
you can really solve your own problems, which is really awesome. Like you can kind of figure out like, okay, this is what's going on with me right now. This is what it's about. Yeah. I think once you learn the strategy, it becomes so much easier. Yeah. That might take therapy. That might take treatment. That might take a lot of treatment, depending on how deep you were into the disordered thinking. But eventually you can get there and be able to do that for yourself. Yes. No, 100%. I always like to say, if I did it, you can do it. But Mm -hmm. it's definitely doable. Yeah. So many people have done it. You know, I think it's, it's really profound to hear. I've talked to like 91 people no, more than that now, but this will be the 91st episode, I think, of the podcast. So like, there's stories of that many people who have recovered their body image and their relationship with food and gotten to a better place. And there's, you know, thousands more out there who have that same story. And they're all different people with different lives and different experiences, but we can all get to this place. It just takes effort and a certain type of philosophy for recovery, right? Like a health at every size, yes. weight neutral approach, I think is really the sort of common theme. Oh yeah, it is the common theme. And I was going to say, if anyone out there is struggling, they should just join your Facebook group because they'll see so <laughs> many, they'll see so many yeah. stories of recovery. Like it pops up all the time in my newsfeed. I'm like, here we go again. Like, this is awesome. Like, this is such a great story. Like I just see it all the time now of all these people that are sharing really great things. I know. I love the Facebook group. Thank you for mentioning it. It's like one of my favorite things that I do now. And I didn't even, I was like, had no plans to do a Facebook group until a few months ago. And I was like, okay, fine. I guess I'll do one. And it's completely worthwhile. (laughs) So it's awesome. Yeah, no, it's great. And I think, yeah, that the power of seeing other people's stories and just sharing the journey is really huge because we all can feel so alone when we're going through it. And especially if we maybe know a few people in our lives or something who have done it, but they're not in the place we're at now. It's like, oh, well, that's them. Like they were able to do it because of X, Y, and Z, right? We can sort of make up stories as to why someone else can do it, but you can't. And actually, no, you can do it too. Like everybody can do it. Yeah. It's awesome. Such a great message. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you to tell us a little bit about your work and where people can find you online. Sure. So I am the owner of Eat With Knowledge. I'm in Nyack, New York in Rockland County. The website for that is eatwithknowledge.com. So I have a private practice and I have two associates working for me too. We're all health at every size gurus and body positivity dietitians. We're never going to put you on a diet. And then I also have another business called Pursuing Private Practice and that's pursuingprivatepractice.com. I have two books out on, you know, how to start your own business and then how to grow your own business. And in April, I think the launch date is April 10th. It might be the week after, but in April, we're going to actually launch a course, an e-course on pursuing private practice, taking the information in the books and really putting it into PowerPoint and video and different samples for people to learn in a different format. So I'm really excited about that because yeah. you know, the more people I can help in private practice, the more that this message gets out there, I feel like. So it's yes. really awesome to have both things like my eating disorder work and then also the per, the private practice work. Yeah, it's so great. And I think having that resource for people who are trying to start their private practice is huge because it can feel like, again, sort of swimming upstream or flying blind, right? All the all the metaphors. So, you know, being yeah. able to have someone who's been there before kind of help you with best practices is really great. Yes. I got all the books that I was supposed to get and they were all like 200 pages and I just remember <laughs> feeling so overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. So my books are concise. They are short. They are the need to know steps, which I think is really helpful. 
Yeah, they're such a great place to start. I got the Grow Your Private Practice one a few years ago, and it was really amazing, just kind of distilling the next steps I needed to take, and I felt very empowered by it. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, happy to have discovered those. And what is your website where people can find you? So the website that people can find me is eatwithknowledge.com. And then for the Pursuing Private Practice stuff, it's pursuingprivatepractice.com. Awesome. Yes. And I'll put a link to those in the show notes as well. Great. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jennifer. It's really a pleasure talking with you. It was awesome. Thank you so much, Christy. I really appreciate you having me on. So that's our show. Thanks again so much to our guests for being here and to you guys for listening. And we'll be back again next week with another brand new episode. Meanwhile, I'd love to stay in touch. And the best way to do that is via email. So you can go to christyharrison.com slash email to sign up for my VIP list. I'll send you info about new episodes of the podcast as they drop, as well as exclusive sneak previews of new episodes, giveaways and other special deals on the products and services I offer, special tips on how to make peace with food and learn to trust your body and a whole lot more sign up at christyharrison.com slash email you can also subscribe via itunes and leave us a nice rating and review which is a great way to get the word out about the podcast and help other people find these important messages just go to itunes from your computer or your podcast app type in food psych to the search bar click on the result that comes up under podcasts and then click on ratings and reviews and you can leave a rating and review right there. And I really appreciate all the five-star reviews and wonderful ratings that we've gotten because it's helped us climb really high right now in the rankings. And that's really cool because we're competing against some of the weight management and body shaming types of messages that I'm trying to fight with this podcast. So we've really started to beat out a lot of the diety voices and I'd love to continue climbing higher in the rankings to get this message out even further. So please leave us a nice rating and review. It's so very much appreciated. And thanks to everyone who's left reviews so far. The music you're hearing behind me now is by a band called AWOL, and the track is called Food, used under the Creative Commons license. Thanks so much for listening, and until next time, stay psyched. Stupid or scared, no work in the kitchen now. Who put you there in that perfect position now? Bullies want your food, and you ain't really beat. Have you ever